yeah, be like build a brand like the Dallas Cowboys. Although a competitive advantage we have over the Cowboys is that if football dies, which all the stuff going on, it's certainly going to be changing a lot. Um, They can't start playing basketball. They can't start playing soccer, right? They're the Cowboys, they're football. Esports organizations have a great advantage over traditional sports in that Fortnite's not going to last forever. Fortnite will be cool for a couple more years, five years. Hell, maybe it'll be cool for 10 more years. Maybe it's dead in six months. We don't really know. But for us, it doesn't like really matter what the game is, right? There'll always be new games, right? We're a gaming brand. And so the game doesn't really matter. As long as you can tell stories in it and there's lots of people playing it and interested in it, then we'll always have a a place to compete. Hello, everyone. Just kidding. This is Chris Powers. And I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey telling the stories of leaders, founders, CEOs, and people making an impact through business, investing, and entrepreneurship. We take an unconventional approach that leans into thoughts and ideas that aren't often publicly discussed. We'd love to hear from you at thefortpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Fort Capital. All opinions expressed by Chris and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Ford Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. Mark Flood is with me today on the podcast. Mark and I have known each other a long time, but we've actually become, I would say, almost better friends over the last couple of years by keeping in touch on the internet, by calling each other, um, over the phone. And I think a lot of it has been driven by we're in two similar worlds. Um, we're both running businesses. And with that comes a lot of maybe back and forth and questions that you, you know, you can't necessarily go ask everybody. And so Mark has been somebody that I've leaned on in lots of little ways, how to get better at Slack, talking about his remote workforce, um, just kind of what he's doing and what's going on in, in his world as Fort capital continues to kind of make a shift towards being more like a technology business than a typical real estate business. And it's just been really fun. We chat with each other on Twitter, LinkedIn, we text. So it's good to see you in person. And I really appreciate you driving up to Fort Worth today to do this. Man, absolutely. Stoked Uh, to be here. I love it. Um, So Mark is the CEO of Disrupt Gaming, um, which I'm pumped to just talk about the gaming world. This is going to be a huge learning experience for me. But why don't you start out just giving us a little bit of background on who you are and how you got into the gaming world and to disrupt? Yeah, so um, at a high level, I've always been uh, entrepreneurial and a, a schemer, for lack of a better word. I'm, I'm 34 now, and I've only had a, what you'd call a regular job for maybe three three of those years. Um, and so that that's the, the over overarching uh, background, but then getting into technology and gaming after college, and and I guess this was uh, twenty. So I graduated in two thousand eight, traveled for a few years, and then twenty ten started a property management company. Okay, not <laughs> not technology or gaming at all, right? Yeah. Um, and that was that was a cool business. I learned a lot, and I was I was doing well in that. However, there was kind of this. Um, little piece of me that I was like, this isn't quite the right, uh, the right thing. So, um, ended up starting, uh, uh, 
a little app company that was called <laughs> Thumb Talk. Uh, and this is an application yeah. where you send pictures to your friends. This is 2010, 2011, by the way, where you send pictures to your friends and that picture gets rated by your friend and then deleted off their phone. <laughs> so um, you started Snapchat. I, hey, I didn't say that. <laughs> All right, but yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That didn't work out. That was our first foray into into any type of technology. And the, the takeaway from that was that I didn't know how to code. Yep. I couldn't get into the code myself and do it. And at the time, we thought we were getting bamboozled by our developer. But like yeah. when I reflect back on that, it's really it was just really bad communication. When you have a non-technical person working with a technical person, like you can kind of be vibrating on way different wavelengths. Yep. Uh, that causes all sorts of problems that aren't really bad natured at their root. Um, and so from there, I was like, I've got to learn how to do this stuff. Even if I'm not going to be the the lead engineer developer myself, I've got to yeah. learn how to do it at a serviceable level. Um, so I ended up uh, selling the portfolio of my management company. And that was cool. I ended up going to work at, this is where I had my only regular job at a company called uh, Yodel. That was a technology company in Austin. Yeah. Um, I call it Yodel University because that's like really where I trained my technology chops. Yep. Um, so in, in that company, I had an opportunity to, so first of all, I completely taught myself how to code and all that stuff while working there. Yeah. But then what I was able to do is I got moved into a position in customer service. They had a single person 40 hours a week sending out all these reports in Excel spreadsheets. And I was able to build a program, an internal program that automated all of that and allowed me to get that entire job done in like an hour. Yep. So I didn't really tell anybody that <laughs> I had automated that job. And yeah. so now all of a sudden I've got like a full-time job of which it only takes me one hour a week. And I'm just like <laughs> literally running around the office, like, you know, taking care of everything I need to. But what it allowed me to do was like build other stuff yeah. uh, internally. And so I ended up building little apps for people and all these things um, inside. And that was really, really cool. I still stay in touch with uh, the founder of Yodel. His name's Ben Rubenstein. And he's been pretty influential on my career. Um but anyway, so yeah. that was, that's like the the background, right? So starting in 2016, ended up being like, uh, well, sorry, Yodel got acquired. And I was like, all right, this is a great opportunity for me to move on and kind of do my own thing again. So started a company called The Wager Wall. Okay. Which was a sports betting application. Oh, yes. I, yeah. So really cool concept. Uh way too much legal red tape yeah like we it was it was crazy like we were gonna have to like bribe lobbyists and do all this crazy stuff so we're like what can we do with well this? real quick what was the wager wall because it this for a while was like the thing so it was a peer-to-peer -peer yes betting application i remember so this. instead of you going to you know las vegas or your or your your bookie or whatever and paying approximately 10 percent yeah like to place a bet we would match you up in our peer network. And so like you and I, I'd say, hey, I want to bet on the Cowboys minus seven. You'd take the other side and then we'd charge a 1% transaction fee, which is a huge yeah. discount, right? Um, and so the legal red tape was really problematic for that. And we're like, what can we do with this platform that we built um, and not have to go through that? Enter gaming. I've always been a gamer. I've 
literally been a nerd my entire life. I yeah. started playing Nintendo in like 1988, Blades <laughs> of Steel, Tecmo. Um, I remember that movie, The Wizard with uh, Brett Savage. <laughs> you remember that movie? Yeah. The Power Glove. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're like, okay. So we took this platform and literally changed a couple of the colors, changed the name to Gamer Wall instead of Wager Wall. Uh, essentially just wrapped it in a new skin and boom. Now we had this exact same platform doing the same thing, but in gaming. So now if someone wanted to play someone in Madden for 10 bucks, we had matched the people up, escrow the funds, um, verify who won, like provide security around the transaction and boom. That was it, like distribute it, right? That was that so was I it. get on and I'm like, I want to play Madden. I'm willing to play someone for 20 bucks. And then anybody can see that I'm waiting for that game and then they can just join in. Yep. And they, of course, can see your record and yeah. all of that stuff, right? Because otherwise you'd have sharks and minnows. But yeah, uh, but yeah, that was, that was that. That was it. How much of those games, and, I, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of getting in, but how many of those games were people that wanted, like, let's say you were 100 and 0. And you're like, I'll play someone for a hundred bucks. How many of those games were the guy that's like, oh, in a hundred, like I'm gonna beat the best, so I'm willing to play him almost unfairly. So, so what you're talking about is literally that is the sharks and minnows problem yep. for any of these types of things, and that exists like everywhere. However, when you have a platform that has transparency, it gets super problematic, right? Yep. If you go sit down at a poker table in Vegas, there's a good chance there's a shark there, but like you don't see their yeah. statistics openly available. Um, and so that's actually, that was one of the key, like fundamental um, uh, obstacles for us to overcome on a significant level. Yeah. Because if you're a brand new player and you come in and you get you, you get smacked your first game, yeah. you might never come back. Right. Um, and so developing systems to avoid that scenario right. was very important. But to your point about someone wanting to come and like, go after it our hypothesis was that there'd be a lot of pride but yeah. there really wasn't like the sharks didn't want to play each other because they're like why would i go up against this big dude when there's plenty of minnows that i can just like squash yep. uh, and so our business model ended up more or less becoming we need to make sure that we keep enough minnows in the pond so like, yeah, beginners sharks. are playing beginners, intermediates playing intermediate. Right. And our sharks were great customers yeah. because they stuck around and they loved it. Like they're making tons of money doing it, right? Yep. Not tons of money. No one was making like tons of money, but yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, so, so that was that. We ended up going through some modifications to that that model, but that was more or less the gist of it. Um, we were acquired by a company out of Houston called Mainline. Yep. Um, and they are still, they're still doing their thing. Um, at the time I, I was not super keen on actually moving to Houston and, and, uh, continuing there. And so after that, I had a few months where I was trying to figure out what I was doing next. And that's about the time that Disrupt Gaming got started. Okay. So that was, we officially started in March of 2018. Oh, I want to get into that, but man, there's there's a bunch of stuff I wrote down. Um, on technical, you mentioned technical and non-technical. 
and you had a kind of partnership that was it was difficult to communicate. But a lot of what VCs want to see in early stage is a technical guy matched up with a non-technical guy. They both have equity ownership in the business. If you were giving um, advice on how to create a good uh, relationship between a non-technical and a technical guy, like how should they communicate or, or what should be kind of the baseline for that relationship to make it successful? So I think, I don't know this for certain, but I think the ratio of founders that are non-technical looking for a technical founder is way out of whack. Oh, yeah. Like, I think there's way more founders that, like, have an idea and they're like, I can do all this stuff. I just need someone to build it for me. Yep. Um, and so that dichotomy, I think, is somewhat problematic uh, on, a, on a macro level. Uh, but to specifically answer your question, I think it's very, very important for the non-technical founder to, like, be somewhat technical. Right. Like you don't have to be the best or like, but you have to be able to know what you're talking about to like some degree. Yeah. Because otherwise you're going to like, you're essentially, I mean, ideas are a dime a dozen. Right. Executing them is the hard part. Yep. Um, and so that, that will always cause friction as long as that's not the case. And so, uh, so, so I think to, to reduce that friction, it's very critical for even the non-technical founder to, even if they don't actually become technical, yep. to make a very strong effort to yep. show the other founder that they are indeed trying to understand. Um, and it's my opinion that it's a little bit easier for a um, technical person to kind of come off their high seat and like communicate fairly. However, there's all sorts of underlying issues that like contribute to that being difficult, especially over time if one person's sitting there pounding out all of this code while the other person's just like yelling ideas at them. Is there somewhere to learn for a non-technical guide to go get like a baseline education or is it purely through experience or is there like books or blogs or websites? Where you websites. Okay. I mean, I'm pretty sure codeacademy.com. Yeah. Like, I mean, even, you know, it's like a 40-hour course. Yep. And dude, if you're going into business with somebody, like asking someone to take a 40-hour course, like that's that's way reasonable oh, in my yeah. opinion, right? Uh, and so like even that, like that's a fantastic place to start. I mean, shoot, Code Academy, I'm almost certain has a program where like if you go through a certain number of things, they see that on their end and they start placing you in jobs as a technical person. Interesting. Yeah, dude, it's the, the non-technical is usually the visionary. Is He's usually the idea guy. The technical guy by nature is usually a lot more focused, a lot more kind of engineering driven. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that I think that, that disproportionate share will probably always be something because I think that's more of just how people are wired. Yeah. Um, you were clearly able to make that shift. Um, are you at, are you able to like, when I think of a good coder or even a good gamer, like you can just get in the zone and stay in that zone. I picture coders going on like these four and five hour coding sprints. Is that something that's always come easy to you to kind of stay super focused for long periods of time? Uh, yes and no. So in a perfect scenario, like my brain is super binary. Yep. I'm a binary person. Like things are very, very few things like fall into a shade of gray. Like I'm usually one or zero. And so because of that, like coding and those types of things like suit me well. However, um, outside circumstances have like kind of continuously dictated that I'm like not allowed to get into that yep. zone. Like I would love it today. 
if I could shut everything off and go work on a like uh, like a direct project for eight hours with no disturbances. That's impossible for me. I, ne- I don't I don't get I don't get an hour and a half without some type of inbound. Yep. Uh, like more I guess management style thing um, to deal with. So so the yes part of that answer is that I can do that and I do enjoy doing that. However, the no part is I rarely get the opportunity to. Right. So you started WagerWall um, and I never was a user of WagerWall, but I can remember like weekly people were like, yeah, we're on Mark Flood's deal. We're playing games. So my first question is, um, which is kind of like the entrepreneurial um, just kind of way of doing life is like fire aim ready. Um, did you even like look into the legalities of what this would do? Or are you like, this is an awesome idea. I'm going to do it. I'll figure out all the rest of the shit later. Yeah, that. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Grip it, rip it is probably my most commonly said thing ever. And, you know, there's a million ways to phrase that, you know, yeah. ask permission or what is it? Ask permission later or ask for forgiveness or it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Yeah. Right. I'm very much action based. And so, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, probably should have done way more research on the legal side, but a lot of it was, I was just talking about gray area, but a lot of that was gray at the time. There was no precedent. And so it's like, we can either preemptively like run into these things, but eh, let's just kind of see what happens. I think being naive and having that ability to just be super naive is a superpower. And it's like the more experience you gain throughout life, the more you realize where all the the bad stuff is. It keeps you from wanting to take those bigger risks. But I freaking love it. How long did you run that business? That was October. Uh, October, early October to the end. Uh, sorry, beginning of Late 2015, early 2016 through October 17. Okay. Yeah. So like how long into it did you start realizing like I might have an issue here? Uh, three months. Okay. Because <laughs> because wager wall as, as the wager wall was only like that for like three or four months. We made that pivot into gaming pretty, oh, quick. pretty fast. Yeah. Okay. And what was different about game gaming versus waging if you're both if you're betting in both circumstances um the major one lies less in like the actual code of like laws which right. are like different in all sorts of states and it was more about the fact that there was way less attention on it got like, it the sports betting industry is huge has lots of regulation and eyeballs yep. like the laws are probably the same for both of them but there's like way less yep way less oversight on the on the gaming part of it so we were able to operate way easier there yeah. uh it, so much to the fact that we never even ran into anything ever for the once we switched into gaming so wager wall or wager wall turns into gamer wall it starts picking up steam at, at one like how many people were using the, the service um it, i think our total number of users ended up being like eight thousand yeah so it wasn't like this was millions of people, right? But it was consistent in the sense that you just kind of had this twenty-four hour, like monetization scheme. Yep. Like it was people were constantly playing, playing these games, right? So it was like you know we we're just making little, little transaction fees like repetitively. Yeah. Um, and so that was pretty cool. And then the the val uh, value outside of that actual transaction in that platform was the 
white labelness yeah. ability of it, meaning that platform was branded ours. However, it was super easy for us to spin it up as a platform for anybody. Yeah. So we actually signed a contract with uh, the Sugarland Skeeters, a minor <laughs> league baseball team in yeah. Houston okay. in Sugarland, uh, with that deal to be that the Skeeters were going to have their own platform, and this was going to help them. Uh, you know, engage their fans and audience, and they were going to host little MLB the show tournaments and all of these things that they could monitor and, and do. And and it, what, it, they weren't doing any betting, right? Yeah. That was virtual currency. And yeah. whatever, but the mechanisms is all the the software is all the same. Right. So we actually signed a contract with them to do that, um, and I'm sure that was part of the uh, parts that made it easier for the company that acquired us to do it. But um, yeah, that was another value part of it outside of like the actual transactional revenue. Yeah. Was the acquisition or did they approach you or did you at some point were like, I'm, I'm going to sell this thing. I want to do something else. Um, I, I don't actually remember exactly how that like came to fruition. I know. So, uh, my co-founder, by the way, that both of those, both thumb talk and wager wall, I was only half of. John yep. Schaefer was my partner. Okay. Great job. And and if we're talking about the technical person and non-technical person, I was the technical person, right? Yeah. Even though I'm not super duper technical, I'm somewhat technical. But, yeah. Um, and so we had a relationship with uh, a media company called Gao Media in Houston, and they own radio networks in Houston. It's like ESPN, whatever it is in Houston. We had a relationship with them. Um, where they were helping us market. So through that, I'm almost certain that that's how that connection came to be is somewhere through that network, although I don't remember exactly how that started. Was it, And I, I ask people that have sold their businesses this all the time, but was there a point in time where you kind of, like they made an offer or it was getting exciting, the sale to where your mind kind of shifted from like, I'm going to grow this business to like, I'm going to sell this business to where it was almost hard to go back to a world of, imagining growing or did it happen quick or that so it's funny that that struggle is a real one oh yeah and i actually remember that feeling very clearly um however uh the yeah so in that situation if you're a founder and you have tons and tons and tons and tons of passion for that particular project that might override like any common sense cuz you're like so passionate about it yeah. like it would be disingenuous for me to say that like I loved that so so much that I was willing to like stake that and be this thing that I yeah. like died on the cross for yeah and I don't want mean that to say that I wasn't like pat I was like yeah. it was all I was doing full you know all, in, all in on it um however when we had the opportunity to be like okay this lives on forever our investors get taken care of you know um it it uh my passion didn't outweigh that part of it right yeah. okay this is a great outcome for all of this like the future was murky anyway it's not like it's not like i'm if i was 100 confident we were about to hit a home run of course i would have kept it but that wasn't really yeah. the case right yeah uh so it was a great opportunity um and then the you know the way that transaction shaked out and the the connections that I, we still have today through that like yeah. Uh, there's a possibility that we end up working with the guys from Mainline again um, in all sorts of capacities because they're still in gaming also. That's awesome. Um, and so, so yeah, it was, it was kind of, a, that was kind of a roundabout answer, yeah. but. No, it's, I mean, 
there's uh, some people say like you almost sometimes you cross this line to where like you can't go back to a, a world of imagining continuing to run like you've convinced yourself the sale you kind of see the dollars um what'd you do the day that you sold the business or what would you do the next week literally started another company yeah <laughs> i literally started a company like, so you had an idea the next, prior to selling yeah so uh uh Bo, Bo can actually talk about this a little bit, but um, the first thing I did right after is I went and inspect out a SaaS platform specifically for gaming and esports as a website builder for gaming. Okay. Uh, if you're familiar with Shopify or Wix yeah. or those, it's that, but like literally just for esports teams. Got it. Uh, so I literally started building that. Like, I'm pretty sure that was the next day. Like, do you even celebrate or like? Do that, anything? You're that, just like that excited to get started. Yeah, just went right into right into the next thing, and it's funny. So t so today, you know, I started uh, Origin GG is the name of that that software. Yep. And I started uh, with my uh, that was actually a solo project, Disrupt Gaming. I have a co-founder in as well. Uh, Disrupt came about two or three months after Origin GG. Um, part of our reason for starting Disrupt was that I was getting lots of access to these teams that were using Origin GG as a service. So I all of a sudden got a deep dive into some of these organizations, which I was like, I'm 100% positive we can do this better than at least our customers yeah. um, Origin GG were, right? Um, and so, yeah, I literally went into that right after. Um, and then as of today, I was kind of doing both of those. And I was like, I can do both and I'm just going to see which one kind of gets legs first. Right. And in that little race between the two, Disrupt did. And so Origin GG still, still exists, but like I'm personally like divested to some degree and it's not a focus. Like it still lives on the web and you can, I'm, I think you can still use it, right, Bo? And what are you, and what is it? Like it's, you said it's a SaaS product for esports teams. It's okay. a website builder only for esports teams. Got it. Oh. Cool. So then insert disrupt, which is your latest and greatest. How did that, what, where did that idea come from and, and what is it? So my current partner in that is Cliff Waters. Uh, we were fraternity brothers at, um, at Texas. That's how we met each other. But guess what our common bond was? Gaming. Yeah. Yeah. Like we'd be <laughs> at the fraternity house and, you know, people would be partying. We'd be over there playing FIFA or Madden or whatever. And and so that's a 15 year relationship now, of which gaming is like truly like the, yeah. a very integral part of that. Um, so he's my partner in that. And and when I was telling him, he was also involved in Game Roll. He wasn't one of the co founders of Game Roll. However, he got involved with us. Um, maybe like midway through. Um, so we, we had already had some experience working together in like a real capacity there. And then when I was telling him about Origin GG stuff and all of the shenanigans that I was seeing from my customers, we were like, we should start a team. If we don't start a team, I think we're gonna regret this. Yeah. You know? and, and so we put in a very small amount of capital and we're like, let's see what happens with it. And, it's done pretty well. So what is the team? Disrupt Gaming is the team. Okay. Uh, what games? We compete in Rainbow Six Siege and Tekken right now. And how do you determine what games you're going to game in? That's a good question, my friend. I'm glad I'm glad you asked that. Come on. I've got a <laughs> line of them. Let me get my iPad on. Here we go. Uh, so game selection is is a huge part of, of 
this business. And by the way, everything that we're about to talk about when it comes to esports and gaming, I'm going to be sharing my opinions by no means or the like this is there's so much like um, open air here that like we, we have strong opinions and we move forward based on those things, based on data and information. It's always sub, very nimble and subject to change based on real information as it comes. Yeah. Um, but like a lot of this stuff is not going, like there is no textbook for this, right? So everything yeah. that you're about to hear me say is like my opinion and we of course believe all of this stuff, but you could definitely hear someone else's opinion. It's like totally different, yeah. right? Um, and so game selection is a really important part, especially for an early a team that's young, um, because our business model is this. We tell stories, lots of them, and we tell those stories through different channels. So long form video on YouTube, um, short stories in a picture on Instagram, even shorter stories in a quick post on Twitter. Yep. Uh, and I'm using the word stories very loosely. Yep. Um, I guess that's a code word for just anything that's entertaining. Yep. Content. Content. Yeah. Um, and so the games that you choose to be in are going to be an integral part of your stories. So if I'm telling a story, I need to make sure that the subject of my story has a pool of people that's a decent size, aka how many people play the game. Yep how many people watch content around the game. So I can go to YouTube and look at search terms and get a general idea of how many people are searching for content to watch about this game. Um, how many people uh, view the competitive scene. So uh, if we are comparing a game called League of Legends to Call of Duty, one might have like 2 million people watching their championship event. Well, another one might have 100,000. So like that doesn't necessarily mean you always choose the one that has more. That's just a factor in it. So uh, when it comes to how you choose a game, here's our selection criteria. Yep. The first is that Cliff and I have to like it. We have to mess with this stuff all the time. We're in it. And life is way too short to be dealing with Fortnite all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but couldn't you make an argument that Fortnite checks all those boxes that you just discussed? For sure. It checks okay. all of them with the exception of me and Cliff Like, Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, so, so that's, that's really, really the first one. Um, and, and actually let me add a caveat there. Yeah. If I was 100% certain yeah. that we could make a bet in Fortnite and then it would pay out, we would, that would change things. But even with, with all of these boxes, checks, there's there's no guarantees, right? right? So with that being the case, it's like you definitely want to be in something that you like. Um, and so, okay, so do we like the game? Yes. What is the casual player base? How many people on a monthly basis are actually logging in and playing the game for at least an hour? Um, there's some ways to measure that that are very, very accurate. And there's some other ways. Some games don't allow anything actually like that. So you have to use other data points to make a hypothesis and take a guess. Yep. It's, it's, that part's actually not that hard. So getting an understanding of how many people play it. Um, and then another factor is looking at the publisher of the game and how much are they investing into the scene. So Fortnite is investing a lot. They're putting $300 million up for prize pools. So you can pretty much 
to a tournament for anything. And if there's $3 million at stake or $300 million at stake, people are going to watch and there's going to be lots of attention and that leaves room to tell stories, right? So understanding uh, how much a, a publisher is going to support the game. Um, pretty much with those set of criteria, that's going to be a good jumping off point to make like any decisions. And like yeah. once you look at all of the games that and that check all of those boxes, you're only down to like a handful. I was going to say how many games like can, that, that fit all that criteria. 10, 20, 100? That fit that criteria? Like yeah. five. Okay. What are they? Uh, League of Legends. Okay. Dota. Okay. Counter-Strike. Fortnite. Um, Overwatch. Yes and no. Overwatch is... Well, is if we talk about the wider business of all of this stuff, Overwatch is a franchise league. So for you to even be in that, you've got to come up with like a thirty to forty million dollar capital investment, maybe more than that. I don't know. So you're like, I'm going to start a game. Do you go, or I'm going to? I'm sorry, I'm going to go start a team. Do you go and put out to the world? These are the two games that we're going to recruit players on, or do you go find great players first and like, what do you guys want to play? It's it's one of it's between these games yeah way more of of the former um there's very very few people that play multiple games at a very high level yep it's like few and far between now people will, will switch like they'll so for like have you guys heard of ninja oh yeah so ninja he just signed a deal with adidas mm -hmm. like i read was reading about it yesterday to genius on adidas he makes part. what 50 million dollars a year yeah he probably hit 50 million and, and he's a gamer he, he plays a, video games for a literally, living. Literally plays Fortnite eight hours a day. And he's really good. He plays Fortnite from nine to five, Monday through Friday. And he's amazing. And he's amazing. Yeah. And he checks in. He, I think it's like, I'm telling it's like a job. Yep. It's, it's bizarre how job-like it is for him. Well, he's a machine. When we were growing up, if you were the kid that was like at home playing video games every day, it was like, yeah, I don't know what my kid's going to do in life. <laughs> he just sits at home and plays video games every day. Now, if you're the kid that stays home and plays video games every day, you can. Kids are now like, well, so and so just made three million dollars playing Fortnite. You kind of have a, an argument. That For narrative sure. is, that's a very short-lived narrative so far. Like that's just beginning. Mm -hmm. Which we'll get in. The gaming revolution is it's crazy. It's happening. It's fun. Um, but before we get into that, so you put out the games you're going to play. How do you find the players? Like you just go. Is there rankings that are published somewhere? Or? There are, um, you know, and if you'd asked me this question like two years ago, I, I would have I would have been assumed that it would be very like um, very much like, oh, you just go look at the rankings and then there you go. It's not really like that. Like your stats and things like that are important, but I'll do Twitter. You probably look at my Twitter. You're like, oh, I what is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. I, we use Twitter a lot. Twitter is an integral part of what we do. Uh, but like the gaming community in general is like in Twitter, are like super embedded. Okay. Um, and so it's kind of like a social club. Uh, the way best way I could describe it would be like, I don't want to say golf because like you, you have to qualify for the PGA, but um, I would call it very similar to like, the NFL quarterback club. And like, even if you're not really that good of a quarterback anymore, if you like have been in the league for a while and have some pedigree, like you'll get like picked up as a team, as a backup and like be on the roster. You're kind of not really related to how good you are on the field. Like, of course you have to show up to some level, uh, but the gaming community is similar in that regard that like there's a club 
and that it's not that the club is not listed on a piece of paper. It's yeah. a very invisible club. club. And if you're not in that, it's going to be really hard for you to uh, like get to a pro level. Um, now, of course, over time, every once in a while, random people like break through and shoot up. And then all of a sudden they're now in the club or maybe they're the leader of the club. Um, but it's very um, tribal, I guess, yeah. is, is a word for it. And so if you are trying to find a player, you're going to have a list of usual suspects really fast of who those people are just from like consensus. And then if you go at, like you sh can and should go outside of that list for sure, it's just going to get a lot muddier uh, in terms of like, verifying that are you are you putting player by player together or are you like recruiting a team that's already been a team together so unlike traditional sports the org itself doesn't have tons of control over the individual players on rosters so rainbow six siege is a five-person game so it's five-man teams yep. and we of course have input on who the players are but for the most part you go like you don't piece a team together you more or less like go find a team that's already floating around out there so like you really like it's probably better to think of an entire team is equivalent to a single player yeah. in pro sports like you're more more than likely going to like if you're starting from scratch you're going to sign a whole team at once that's like already together and kind of playing but if you're playing madden or if you're playing like Tiger Woods golf, which I don't even know if those are professional. Madness. That's a single player game, right? Correct. Okay. So it's there's a big difference. Yeah, big difference. And you're not playing any single player games. Tekken single player. Okay. Tekken is a fighting game like Street Fighter. Okay, so you, I'm going to start Disrupt. I'm going to start a team. I'm going to go search for a team that's kind of already a band of brothers that's together. And then you're like, hey, we will pay you mm -hmm. a salary. Yep. We will provide your travel and lodging to go to these places. Or are they playing from their homes? Uh, so, or so both? It's both. Okay. Um, so depending on what game you're in and the way the leagues are structured, some leagues like Overwatch, for example, every regular season game is like live in person at a stadium. And like starting this year, it's actually going to be like home stadiums. These teams are going to be like traveling, like home and away games, which is 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 yeah, crazy. It's happening um but not all games are like that not all yeah. games are that advanced and so a lot of games have regular seasons that are all online and you're literally you know probably playing from your underwear in your chair or something yeah um but then when you advance to like the finals or the playoffs whatever it's called in whatever game you're in then that usually occurs at a physical location like las vegas or los or angeles just vegas. it's just in vegas the next rainbow six finals are in tokyo I somehow missed that <laughs> reminder. Um, okay, so and then it's it's. I'm assuming it's like this is what we're going to pay you in your bonus based on the amount of winnings that you bring in. Yeah, and there's a money list, or you get paid to win tournaments. Yeah, exactly. You get that you win prizes and all of that stuff. But yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head in terms of the contract. That's exactly what we we pay for. Right? So, how many players do you have recruited on Disrupt? Uh, we have, so we have five Rainbow Six Siege players. Okay. We have a Rainbow Six Siege coach. Okay. So that's six for, for Rainbow. Um, and then we've got three Tekken players. What does a coach do? Literally calls plays. Not in-game. The coach isn't allowed to be participating during the game. Um, so calls plays is probably not the right term, but draws up strategies to use in-game. Okay. Watches film of the team, takes notes, does 
counter intelligence work on the other teams you're about to play. Got it. Um, so we're not quite where we want to be in terms of our competitive infrastructure. Uh, but I'm like a Bill Belichick fanboy. So like that's the level of like, yeah, that, that's where we want to be at. Like I want a sheet with I want to know what these dudes eat for breakfast, you know, yeah. how much they're sleeping and not just for our guys. I want to know this about the other teams, yeah. too, you know, like where they like to play, uh, what their habits are in game, all of that stuff. Dude, that is incredible. So how do you how do they monitor like if these players are practicing? Because I'm assuming everybody lives kind of around the country and then they meet up for events. So. Mm -hmm. Do they just log out? Like, how do you know your players are staying? It's it's funny. This this will tie into the whole remote working thing. Yes, the, which yes, the, these are challenges that exist, and I don't I don't claim to think that we are doing this at at the best possible way we can. We try the best we can, but that is that is a challenge. You've got all these moving pieces. They're all remote. You can't see them face to face. If someone doesn't want to talk to you, they just don't answer the phone or whatever, right? Unlike if you're, you know, an NBA team, they're all at the practice facility, right? Um, so so that part of it is really is really old school in the sense that you've got to go back to old fashioned relationship building and trust and and um, you know, the the way we're kind of structured at disrupt is that I don't have the bandwidth to like have these super in-depth relationships with every single person. Yep. And so we, of course, use some type of hierarchy, right? It's like we have a team captain. His name is Yeti in case we talk about that more. But his name is Yeti. And so I, I will talk to Yeti a mm -hmm. lot, right? And then I trust him to be the like disseminator of information as well as the in information gatherer to kind of distribute back to me, you know, like, how's everyone doing? Is anyone demoralized? Is someone like dragging ass in practice? Like those types of things uh, are, and if you've got a real life scenario, like where yeah. they're all together, you can kind of get a feeling for that. But like, I have no real way to. So there's no measure. software that's been built that runs in like the back, the back of a game that can, you can see how practice is doing, how many hours they're logging. I mean, nothing nothing that is that sophisticated you can of course record practices and things of that nature but like i mean now we're talking about you know they practice for five or six hours a day now you've got five hours times five guys and every day it's you know 30 hours it's it's very difficult to like measure that effectively like we do have some things that we can go back and like check on but it's very much like a feel trust you know, relationship based. Thing. So my next question, is there a draft and do you, are you getting hit up all the time? Like, Hey, can we try out for the team? And how do you know if it's time to tell someone your thumbs aren't working anymore, buddy, <laughs> it's time to hang it up. Dude, it's, it's, it, I, it's so funny. You're asking these questions. These are, these are things we literally think about and like try to figure out how to, how to do to handle these types of things yeah. well because like what you're talking about like it's all new this is what makes you a good organization or not it's like handling in any business well. not yeah. just gaming yeah um and so so um yeah it's interesting so so there is no draft um but we do get constant emails and messages uh, i get my Instagram, my Twitter emails, it's just like almost nonstop in terms of not necessarily always wanting to try out for the competitive team. We also have a division of like 25 or 30, what's called content creators. And these are people that play the game, but they're not competitive. They just like to create funny videos or how-to videos or whatever. And we help use them to distribute our stories. Yeah. Um, 
And so we get tons of applications for that stuff. Uh, in regards to players uh, performing well, there's a lot of factors in there, right? Because you could, in theory, you follow baseball? No. So Bryce Harper is now on the Philadelphia Phillies. He came from the Nationals. I yep. think they signed him for $330 million or something like that. That it's a good analogy for us or to, in the purpose of this conversation because Bryce Harper as a pure baseball player is definitely not worth $330 million. That decision that the Phillies made had a lot to do with his marketability. Yeah. He's a handsome dude. He hits home runs. He puts fans in the seats. Like it's, he, he himself is an interesting story. Like it just makes a lot of other things easier. So it's not just about on-field play. So likewise, in our games, we have the very same factors. Like it is totally possible that we or any org would pick a player that is very much statistically known to not be as good as another guy if they bring other assets to the organization like being having a big following or being super marketable or whatever um so yeah telling someone that they're that they're past their prime is is that's always that's always never fun um we've never actually had to tell one of our guys that however we have not signed someone like passed on someone because we're like this dude sorry don't keep working yeah well you're just washed yeah you tell him to hang him up (laughs) can you but is age a thing for sure age can make you a a worse player over time huh indeed so uh, why your brain like starts fatiguing uh reaction time so yeah um, okay Depending on what the game is, so a lot of these games are super duper duper twitchy, meaning yeah. that like we're talking about like milliseconds or like microsecond movements and things like that. And so yeah, like by the time you're 25, 26, 27, 28, like you are you are way past your optical sensory nerve prime or whatever. And I'm sure there'll be things that they can do to extend that or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, like from a pure uh like skill, raw skill level, like yeah, you 25 26 27 28 like you're you're long in the tooth like i'll go play some of these games and i'll, I'll play with Bo or or whoever and i has Bo on your team so so Bo, um Bo is not on our team however he for those listening Bo is in the room vlogging right now so we are talking to Bo, who came up with mark so so Bo is a local austinite who i didn't know in person until getting into the gaming industry. And he actually worked for a different team, a competitor of ours. Uh, however, we connected you know, via the internet and then found out he was in Austin. So now we've ma- made a connection. He's also a software developer. Got it. So uh, he's actually worked on Origin GG a little bit. And so just a connection. And yeah. I, I put a message on Twitter yesterday. I was I like, yeah, anyone want to give me a hand? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man, let's go. You like, didn't right. say what it was until down the comment <laughs> feed. Because he was like, damn it, I didn't know I was driving up here. Um, okay. Uh, so people can can get um, older or they can, you know, wear out. Their statistics, I'm assuming, during tournament play are tracked like any sport would be. You know how many kills they have, how many bullets they dodge. Yep. What, what are like the key statistics in Tekken? that you look for uh so so tekken is a fighting game so okay. i literally think street fighter yeah. is going to be the most applicable thing i mean it's it's for all it's one-on-one combat yeah one-on-one combat 60 second rounds um and tekken tekken actually now that i really 
I don't know that I've articulated this in my head before about Tekken, but Tekken uh, compared to Rainbow Six has way less insight into statistics like that. Yeah. Uh, Tekken's pretty straightforward in terms of like what it should be like is like a boxing match. Right. Jabs like, you know, light punches hit, power punches hit, but it's not really like that. Yeah. It's um, wins so, and losses. Yeah. Wins and losses. And, and, uh, there's some really fascinating stories in Tekken. We're actually working on a documentary right now about our Tekken player, which I'll talk about in a second. But okay. um, like, 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 I want to. We we want this to go to Hollywood. Yeah, you know, like, like it's it's good. Um, so if I play Tekken, if I get on tomorrow, I've never played. There is a is there a zero percent chance that I will ever beat the best player in the world, even one time in a hundred games. Uh, yeah, for you, it's zero percent. So you, it, there's no like never, the game nah. doesn't provide any luck. It is nah, pure nah, skill. Nah, Tekken's pure skill. Okay, the documentary you said you were going to talk about it. Our Tekken player, Shadow Twenty Z, uh, African American. Can we not talk about his? You don't do real names in the gaming world. It's Shadow Twenty Z. You don't, don't have even, to tell I me. I don't even know his. No, I'm just kidding. I know his real name, Marquis Jordan. Yeah. Marquis Jordan is real name, but we we really do. I mean, I personally like. Am pretty adamant about calling them by their screen name. Yeah, and, and that's just me being like gamers. Yeah, trying to be like oh, I'm all about it, you know. So I'll even my, my email address is so unprofessional. It's cashflowdisrupt.gg. You know, <laughs> is but, that your gamer name? Yeah. Okay. And, and and so it's like that's my thing, right? And like I actually see that as like a filter because if someone isn't going to respond to me or thinks it's silly, which it is. I admit it's silly, but like that's a good filter for me. It's like eh, if they're they can't get past that part, then this. This isn't right fit anyway. Like if we're talking like commercial partners yeah. and stuff like that. But uh, so Shadow, Shadow is uh, he's 21 years old. Um, he's an African American kid. Grew up in South Chicago, like 140th Street in South Chicago. Yeah. Uh, South Chicago. South Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> um, he had a really really bad accident about four years ago. He fell out of a four story building. Um, he had a lung removed. His back was like fully, like he has like vertebrae either like replaced or fused. Anyway, in ICU, horrible, horrible accident. His brother, um, Junior, this is his gamer handle, um, brings a PlayStation into the ICU with Tekken on it. And I'll be damned if Tekken isn't the thing that like took his mind off the pain, like allowed him to kind of recover uh and now he's the number two player in the united states number 13 in the world um he'll be going to bangkok in december for the tekken world tour finals um and so we're we're produced i i flew up to chicago this is maybe this was at the end of july i flew up to chicago to go film with shadow um and and get you know his story meet his family see where he grew up all of that stuff and then followed him to Las Vegas for Evo, which is the world's largest fighting game tournament. It's like 10,000 people or something like that. Um, and we're currently in post-production for that right now. Really looking forward to that. Like that awesome. It's like a film. Yeah, it's like a real thing. And you know, we're on somewhat limited resources, so it's not like it's a Peter Berg film, yeah. but I mean, it's pretty good. How did how does a player know that they're they're good? Like I'm assuming everybody that plays now is logging into the internet and they're seeing other. If you're a gamer, you're watching it, you're seeing it. Like you just kind of, if you're getting really good, somebody's noticing. There's no way to just be really good like at your house in your bedroom and nobody knows that the best players, you know. 
yeah, if you are really good and you're really consistent and you do it for an extended period of time, you will for sure get noticed. And it's funny, every game is going to have like a slightly different ecosystem for how that shakes out. Um, but like going back to, so so for in the purposes of this example, Fortnite and Rainbow Six are, are likely similar. Uh, however, let's say that you're a Fortnite player. Well, as you rank up and you start playing, let's say you're playing eight hours a day, you are going to rank up to the point where the game is putting you in a player pool of people that are similar to you. And so that pool, depending on how good you are, could be pretty small. Like if it's a 10,000 player pool that oh, there's only 10,000 people that are of this level and you're playing for eight hours a day, you're going to start running into those same people. Like even in a pool of 10,000, maybe that's not the right number. Yeah. Maybe it's 5,000 or whatever. But like you're going to start seeing and running into in-game like certain people kind of repetitively. And then I think that's kind of how it starts. And then usually the people that are playing that much are also like doing some type of media around it. So they're uploading their their movies, you know, their videos of them playing to YouTube. And so that, that creates more awareness of who they are. Um, and Twitch is live. YouTube is recorded. Correct. YouTube does have a live function. However, it's like... You have to have a thousand is that what it is? Yeah. It's nowhere near as popular as Twitch for live streaming. Twitch is by far the largest for live content. In fact, you could potentially do this podcast on Twitch. I'd actually recommend that. Mark that down, Johnny. Because <laughs> what you do is you you do it live, right? So then you get some people watching your podcast live, but then you then it also records it. So now you've got the recorded video of it that you put on YouTube. So you just did one podcast. And you have two full episodes on two different platforms. I, we're going to do that. We need to get a camera in here. Man, there's just so many freaking questions because this is fascinating. <laughs> Usually I know a lot about the businesses of the people that are coming. Um, okay. So if you take Ninja, for example, and it says he made $50 million last year, where did all that money come from? What is winnings in being a good gamer versus endorsements? And for the team that he's on, is this backed by like a private equity group that has like millions of dollars to start pumping into these players? So like, how does that ecosystem around him look? Because I imagine there's a lot more ninjas going to come out over the next 10 years. For sure. Next um, two years, probably. Year. It, indeed. There's, there's going to be, you'll start to see quite a few, a few ninjas um, are arriving. Um, so the ecosystem is, is interesting. So prize pools, Fortnite is an exception in that regard in like these extravagant prize pools. Like, yes, there's big prize pools for all this thing. The Rainbow Six one's like $2 million, but it's certainly not a $300 million dedicated prize pool over the course of a year. So Fortnite is somewhat unique in that regard in how big the prize pools are. With that being the case, um, prize pools are rarely uh, the most significant revenue portion. Okay. Like that, it's usually not even most of it, or like I, I'd be guessing at numbers here, but I'd say Ninja's rev out of Ninja's revenue, it's like one percent or less is prize pool for Ninja specifically. Um, so, so, so where's all this money coming from? A big part of it, especially earlier, like if you're looking at Ninja's like uh, curve, so. 
you know, after he's gained some steam, but before he reached this like crazy peak, he was probably doing like five or $600,000 a month in what's called like subscription revenue. People subscribe to his channel on Twitch and they pay him, they pay Twitch five bucks a month and then Twitch gives him approximately 60% of that, so $3. So for every, for every subscriber, Ninja makes three, $3. And wow. you know, I think he hit 250 or 300,000 subscribers. That's just like literally recurring revenue like not even mailbox money, like direct deposit into your bank account money. Um, and so that, that at that point is, is big. Now, when you have that much attention and you have people that are willing to directly pay him, like that is a one-to-one, -one, that's like literally me subscribing to your channel and me directly paying you. It's a very direct thing. And so when you have that many people, then there's also like this way wider subset of people that are just watching Ninja generally. They don't subscribe to him, but they just watch. So now you've got like 30, 40, 50,000 people watching him for eight hours a day. And that that that's at any one time. Yep. The, the gross number is probably like half a million over the course of a day so whenever you have that much attention now all of a sudden you have monet it's monetizable attention yep and so red bull gets in right so now red there's a red bull fridge in the back of every one of his streams he's got his little stupid red bull red yeah. bull headband and I, I didn't mean to say stupid it, yeah Fortnite is I you can tell I don't I'm not a big fan of Fortnite, but uh, I love Ninja. Ninja is great. He's done very good things for the industry, but um and he's a great representative. Have you met him? I've never met him. Yeah. Uh how well, old is he? 28, 29. So he's maybe peaking. Competitively, he's probably already peaked, but but his deal, yes, he's incredible at the game, but like, dude, it's his personality, his audience, all of that stuff. And like, yes, he couldn't have done that if he wasn't good at the game, but like that is no longer what's carrying him. Yep. Um, awesome. uh, one of our uh, one of our uh, advisors has a relationship with C3, which mm -hmm. is a, they put on Lollapalooza in Chicago. And Part of the reason this guy got involved with Disrupt is that he was like, dude, I was at Lollapalooza in 2018 and Ninja was there playing Fortnite and the crowd for him was bigger than any of the musicians that were at Lollapalooza. And he's like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, I have to figure out how to get involved in this some way. Yep. Um, so yeah, it's really crazy, right? So 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 going back to how Ninja monetized and how he's making $50 million, I have no idea how much Adidas is paying him for that. Yep. But I wouldn't be surprised if Adidas is paying him 50 million bucks. Yep. I know Mixer... So Mixer is a rival for Twitch. It's owned by Microsoft. Twitch is Amazon. Mm -hmm. uh, Mixer is paying him $10 million annually to stream on their platform exclusively. So he's off of Twitch now and only on Mixer. Um, so that's, I mean, that's, that's $10 million right there. Do gamers, like, work out or stay physically fit? Or is that a requirement to be really good? <laughs> you do. I, I do. You're a freaking beast. It's a huge part of of my life and yeah you know, for for all this gaming stuff right dude i'm like double the age of half these dudes right yeah. and i'll run circles around these little kids you know yeah. give, me, give me a break get these guys <laughs> out of here uh no but keeping a high energy level is yeah part of my bit i guess you could say and so i i do i personally uh put a lot of effort into that however uh in the gaming space there are some people that do it but like if you're looking at some of the things that that traditionally people have like frowned upon you it's like you know 
big slob like in his mom's basement whatever yeah a lot of that stuff is bs however yep. there is many many strides to be made in like personal health yep. and fitness like some of these sleep schedules dude these guys from these like they wake up at 8 p.m you know and it's like they're eating garbage and and, yeah. and it's like that is something that like for me like if i forget about money or the business side of it like actually helping people's lives and like changing someone's lifestyle or whatever that's like really important to me in terms yep. of making sure that we try to get people's healthy as like they can be right because were you always healthy because it's a big part of your your journey right now what what was the um yeah i mean i i've i dude, i grew up playing sports i've always been active you know i'd say there was probably like a two-year period where I didn't take very good care of myself. Mm -hmm. That was pretty much it. Yeah. I've always been pretty, pretty active. Um, so switching gears just a little bit, back to the comment of kids now can tell their parents like, no, I'm not a lazy gamer. Like this is what I'm going to do for a living. And that's going to become a more regular occurrence. Do you have any data or stats on like how many youth want to be a professional gamer when they grow up? I don't. No. That's, that's a really good question. I'd imagine it's a lot. A lot. <laughs> like you one. I mean, I'm nowhere close to the gaming world and that three, the kid that won $3 million playing a Fortnite tournament. I heard about that like 10 times in the same week. <laughs> like, and I know for a fact, all my friends with young kids, all those kids knew that there was a kid that made $3 million. Um, I just have to imagine that shift is happening so freaking rapidly. So my next question would be, we talked about this kind of on the pre-podcast uh, phone call, but you were talking about how are people's interactions online and playing um, inter, uh, affecting kids like in their real life world? Like I imagine now you're not judged on, you know, how many home runs you hit. You're judged on how many kills you had the night before. That's right. Um, you know, I, 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 it's been a while since I've walked around uh, the halls of a middle school or high school. I'm not sure if that's even legal for me to do right now. Yeah, <laughs> not in today's political environment. Um, but uh, the, you know, what we were talking about on the phone yesterday, I, I do know, and I, I've read quite a bit about, and this, this actually ties into a, a larger meta of like online behavior in general. Like gaming is like part of it but like yeah. this has way more to do with like just online stuff anyway like bullying yeah. and, and all of these things right because now you've got your in-person interactions but then you also have like your online profiles which sometimes those align with how you are in real life sometimes they don't right yep. depending on on who you are um and so so yeah like if you're i would i know for sure a story that i was telling you about that was i can't remember where i read off to find the story but like yeah kid got beat up at school for like having the the base Fortnite uniform, right? All his friends had, you know, the $10 skin. That was the new release. These are like digital a, uniforms, digital not uniforms. something you're wearing in real life. Correct. Yeah. Di digital uniforms, you know, and they're like Nike did a collaboration with Fortnite. So there's oh like, Jor gosh. there's Jordans in the game. And so like, of course you have to buy the Jordans. Now you're buying digital Jordans. In the Johnny game. came into my <laughs> office the other day bragging about how he bought Jordans for his Fortnite player. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, and so like, so, so now you've got kids getting picked on 
because they don't have the coolest stuff. And like that, that like thing that's happening, that's always happened, right? Yeah. Like kids have always been picked on. If, like that's just what kids are, kids suck, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they don't suck. Kids are awesome. Just, I'm about to have one, but uh, you know, they're, they can be mean. Yeah. Especially when you get them in groups and stuff like that. So they're like, brutal. I, again, that's, I think that is indicative. I use that as, as indicative of, the level that gaming is like getting integrated into like the day-to-day lives. However, I don't think that that is like, oh my God, that's because of gaming. These kids are getting bullied. Like, yeah. come on, kids have always been bullied. Like and and I, and I won't, we don't have to touch on this too much, but it's, it's something that you probably have a comment about. Gaming is not the root of a lot of the mass shootings that you're seeing. A lot of what you hear in the media is like, this is all from people playing games. Like there is no supportive statistic to show that that is anywhere close to true. Yeah, I mean. True or false. That, that You are true. true. It yes. is not true that gaming is like, give me a break. Yeah. Like, like it's like, I can't roll my eyes. It's a podcast. So you yeah. can't see me do it. But I'm rolling my eyes like into the back of my head. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's, it's ridiculous. Um. Okay, I'm going to pivot again um, because one of the things that, that we had a, a good chat about probably six months or a year ago, Fort was really learning how to start using Slack better. And I think I posted something like, is there anybody out there that can teach people like how to use Slack better? And there you came. You put down your remote, you turned off uh, tech in and you said, <laughs> I'm coming to your rescue. And you did. Um, but what we got to talking about was your entire company, Disrupt, uh, is a remote business. So you have employees that are all over the world, which is uh, something that's being talked about a lot more. Um, I don't live in that world. It's, some, it's still hard for me to picture how to hold people accountable when they're all over the world and haven't met each other and built deep relationships. Let's just talk about it a little bit. Um, why did you choose to build it remotely or did you even have a choice? Like Austin didn't have all the people you needed. Yeah, so so that. I've uh, both with all, every, except for that two-year period where I had a regular job, I've only done remote stuff. Okay. Um, and all of that is almost strictly by necessity in the sense that for an early stage company like yeah, an office would be amazing. Like, don't get me wrong, I'd love to have an office and like bring people to Austin or hire people here. But like, it's oh, it's unnecessary overhead for our purposes, right? Yep. Like, you know, my partner probably hates me for this, but I'm like pretty stingy when it comes to where we deploy capital, right? Like, yeah. companies can go out of business a lot from overspending, but not many go out of business because they like don't spend, right? Yeah. So I'm like very, very um, budget conscious when it I comes to it. that stuff, and so. It's definitely by necessity, and um, the 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 major there's pros and cons, but the major con you just hit it was it's very difficult to hold people accountable, and like you just have to get. And I've gotten used to this now because I've been doing it for so many years, but like the speed, uh, it's like like we're fast and slow at the same time. Like we're fast in the sense that we're nimble and I can bring in a designer, a video editor, um, a player, all of these things without having to like fly them in, go through an interview process and like do all these things that I guess you'd call like boilerplate. Yeah. The other side of that where we're slow is that our lead designer is in Italy, he's in Bologna, right? So like, 
we're essentially on a 24-hour loop schedule to where I will put something out there and then he can't really be held accountable for it until like 24 hours has lapsed. So like if you think about that, like imagine, like again, we go really fast as a, as a brand company, but it kills me internally because like I want it now. I want it like not, I don't want to wait 24 hours. Like yeah. I don't want this graphic coming out tomorrow. I want it, I, I need it now. Yep. And you just can't, you can't do that, right? Yep. And like that, that also has to do with the time zones and all of that stuff. Um, uh, and you have people all over the world. Correct. Yeah. We've got, We've got people in London. We've got people in Italy, uh, all over the United States, Florida, Chicago, California, Denver, uh, like literally Kentucky, everywhere. Is there any, besides Slack, um, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about Slack, what software helps you run a remote business? So again, in ours, Twitter is huge. Okay. Uh, But when it comes to like messaging and communication. Within the team. yeah, Yeah, I mean, you don't like send a tweet to your, you know, office manager or whatever. I guess. Not a tweet, but do the amount of direct messages on Twitter that are used is staggering. And like it took me a long time to accept Twitter direct messages as an official form of communication. Wow. Um, but it very much is so much so. In fact, like we're literally doing this like right now it may or may not come to fruition but a very large organization is uh potentially buying out one of our players and that entire th- process is happening <laughs> in twitter oh my god <laughs> like the whole thing like yes the contract and all that stuff will get sent via docusign or whatever but like yeah. outside of that the rest of it was like in twitter and so i actually struggle with this in terms of Every person, I like literally have like an Excel spreadsheet and it it tells me what is the best medium to reach a specific person. So like people that are directly accountable inside of Disrupt Gaming, uh, which is not the players, by the way. I'm talking about our creative staff, our editors, um, those people. That's who we keep in Slack specifically. They are accountable to be, to communicate via Slack. However, everyone else is, is, who knows there's an app called discord which is very similar to slack but but made for gaming and more tailored towards voice communication right also has messaging so there's that there's twitter there's email there's whatsapp there's direct there's direct text messages it's funny people always know that if they get a direct text message from me like oh that that's the final oh yeah like the the, the direct text message is is yo (laughs) like i need this message to go through whether you have internet or not so now i'm like relying on your cellular connection to get there right Uh Uh, because like if you're using twitter right they don't have internet the message would never go through yep whereas on text message even if they don't have internet it'll go through the data network and so uh that's kind of a lot of communication channels what's your goal with disrupt to grow like the Dallas Cowboys franchise of gaming sports teams or like what start more teams or you kind of have to stay loyal to one or how how does this do the, look five the, years from now the Dallas Cowboys thing that's it um when we survey the landscape of esports organizations uh it is our hypothesis that there is about the same room in the esports world for top class brands as there is in the global professional sports world. So, if we're talking global professional sports and top class brands, how many are there? 
like we in our numbers kind of like there's like 120 of them right because you've got like the lakers the yankees you know those types of organizations across the four or five major sports in the united states yep. and you have the equivalent like barcelona real madrid in europe uh you know the, the big soccer clubs and even in like india you've got these cricket clubs australia you've got these rugby clubs and they're all really successful in their own in their own right in japanese whatever so we really think that there's about there's room for about 100 to 120 big 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 brands yep and there's only like 30 right now maybe less than that like wow. 25 so, so there's like, a ton of room yeah we see it as a great opportunity to um yeah be like build a brand like the dallas cowboys although a competitive advantage we have over the cowboys is that if football dies which with all the stuff going on it's certainly going to be changing a lot huh. um they can't start playing basketball they right. can't start playing soccer right they, they're the cowboys they're football esports organizations have a great advantage over traditional sports in that Fortnite's not gonna last forever Fortnite will be cool for a couple more years yeah. five years to, hell maybe it'll be cool for 10 more years maybe it's dead in six months we don't really know yeah but for us it doesn't like really matter what the game is yep right there'll always be new games right we're a gaming brand and so the game doesn't really matter as long as you can tell stories in it and there's lots of people playing it and interested in it then we'll always have a, a place to like be how long does it take to get good at a game like if so let's just say the new Fortnite uh comes out in six months are people that are and it's well uh, uh, it's something totally different so it's you know star wars whatever the new game and you've been amazing at Fortnite. are you going to be amazing at star wars really quick if it's the same type of deal five-man teams killing each other like it doesn't take long to become really good yeah that's right as long as the game type is similar and the mechanics are somewhat similar then yeah, yeah it'll translate there's actually a guy named shroud yeah and he's almost as big as ninja he's not as big as ninja but he's he's up there like oh, half okay half size so he's only making 25 million dollars a year right uh, uh, and so th th this guy's whole shtick is is that he is like this top class first person shoot shooter aimer, right? So like he grew up playing Counter Strike and was a high level Counter Strike pro. But now you throw him on any first person shooter and he's like, he's like incredible, right? Like yep. right off the rip. Um, and so yeah, it definitely translates. Okay. Um, so if you keep growing this business and you the goal is to become the Dallas Cowboys. Are you going to have to raise some external funding to do that or do you do it through winnings from these players because i just hearing what you've said at some point it's about the branding and the story and all the other forms of revenue than just winning the the tournament itself that's right so um you know our our and is there an ecosystem for that right now like if you wanted to go raise money for disrupt is that money available right now or are people getting into that uh yes definitely um in fact it's it's like it kind of reminds me of like the internet in like 1999 you can just like walk into a room and be like blah 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 internet yeah like, oh, something 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 dot com yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's like money gets thrown it it's obviously not exactly yeah. like that but but it's pretty hot right now so yeah there's a ton of of equity like private equity interest there but then you know in terms of of our plan so yes we are we, to really do the things that we want to do and do them well, it is definitely going to take more capital than we currently have access to. Um, and so our, 
uh, our business model is pretty much like we are very similar to a marketing agency, right? So for example, I had a phone call with Southwest Airlines the other day. Very similar to my conversation. They're probably talking to some ad agency like GSDNM. I don't know if you guys know GSDNM. They're an Austin ad agency, but so they're talking to them and, and GSDNM is sitting there pitching Southwest on all these commercials that they had make for them and all these different concepts and ideas. Our pitch to Southwest is very, very similar to that style of, of pitch. However, it's just focused in and around gaming. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we have internal video capability, right? Like we, if someone wanted to make them like a direct commercial, fine, we'll do that totally. Yeah. Um, these are like services like that, that we uh, do. And the, the kind of underlying philosophy there is that like, we do these things, we work with these corporate partners like Southwest, like Chipotle, like Pepsi, financial institutions, by the way, like they're so stupid for not, if they don't get in soon, it's it's crazy because they, I, they can't, it's like not sufficient. It shows that they're like not this high, proper, sophisticated. Dude, our market is like 16, 17 years old. How many of those kids yeah. are about to go open their first bank account? Yeah. If, you, if you open your first bank account, I opened my first bank account in Bank of America when I was 16. That's where yeah. all my bank accounts are now. Yeah. All of them. Sorry, side tangent. No, so, it's so it's so true though. The the companies that choose to shun it because it doesn't represent kind of the old world, if you want to call it, I think will suffer dramatically and they'll miss out. Yeah. They'll have to pay way more later to do it. And I guess, you know, hey, if you're a huge company, you don't care about that, then fine, whatever. But um, and so, yeah, so so we go to we go to these types of companies. Right. And we integrate them into our stories like Southwest. Dude, we're flying people all over the country, constantly filming, videoing, posting all of these things like it's a no brainer. And like not only is it is it makes sense for Southwest, but it's like really great for us and like in line like in the same stream yeah. that we're already flowing right we're already traveling around and filming and videoing it's like we will make southwest our official travel partner and we fly everywhere on southwest southwest is prominently featured in all of our content if they want to do if we if they want us to make them a very specific commercial we can absolutely do that we'll work and you know if we have to write a script all these things and like it's like a creative service right um but then Right. So like that's that's like how we survive and that's like how we generate like revenue. But while all of this is happening, we're still growing our brand. Yeah. And I am not a soft like uh, metrics person, like the people that are able to kind of build up these mysterious things and like sell things like in these mysterious values. You're like, wow, that doesn't really make any financial sense. Like, how did you do that? I don't know if you've been flying the world-class capital stuff in Austin, but I like, have, dude. I get asked by people out of state all the time, like, have you heard of this world-class capital yeah. dude? So I, and I'm like, no, I, I I don't know him. I hear about it all the time, but I have nothing to say other than I get asked about it two or three times yeah, a year. I, I know nothing about the details of it, although the only thing, my comment that I have about it is that like I've always wondered like what they're doing like it seems like they're really successful but like i don't actually see them selling anything so like i don't know like their buildings are empty it's not like they're generating or like, i don't know so <laughs> my point here is that i'm not very good at these like wishy-washy things right like some people can do that i cannot and so when i talk about like brand value one it makes me like uncomfortable because it's like not as uh defined as i would prefer it to be however we do our damnedest 
to measure that stuff and measure it constantly. You know, like sentiment analysis, um, our own internal channels, our YouTube channel, you know, we've got 50,000 subscribers, our Instagram, our Twitter, all of these things, like as we drive revenue through actual partnerships with a brand like Southwest, we're taking this money and we're creating really cool things that, yeah, of course, adds tons of value to Southwest, but also keeps building up our brand. Our brand. And so like, in if we fast forward to three years, when now we've got a million subscribers on our YouTube channel, that's organic distribution, right? Yep. If, if someone wants to go put a commercial on TV, they have to pay a lot to air that commercial. Forget about the cost to actually make it. They've got to distribute it. And so we're like, we're building our own organic internal distribution. And while it certainly makes me uncomfortable to talk about, oh, how do you measure a brand, all these things, like those are the ways in which like we are making sure yeah. that we're like growing and that there is some like, there's some meat on that bone. Well, it's, I mean, it's hard to ask somebody like how much you like that brand. They're like a lot. Can you prove it? Yeah. Well, we have a million followers on YouTube. That, that's just not doesn't happen by accident. Right. They watch all of our and they watch our content on average for seven minutes per video we post. Yep. Right. We just started our YouTube channel like two weeks ago. I think we have three subscribers right now. But we will get there. Number four, right here. Five, five, six. Right yeah. now. Hey listeners, we took a quick break so we could refill the batteries on Mark's vlog camera and we jump back in with Mark talking about the importance of social media and interacting with other people. Great uh, he's uh, really big in the Rainbow Six Siege community and you know, I've met him a couple times in person at these events uh, and he was talking about practice habits for players in Rainbow Six. And I have thoughts on that that I kind of disagreed with what he was saying. It's like he gets up there and I immediately reply. And then sure enough, we were like in this little banter. So there's there's two things. One is we're going to get together like next week and create our first podcast talking about this, and this with this Danish dude. Uh, but then the, the other part of that is like our underlying strategy and brand building. And like that's what digital brand building is. Yep. Twitter is amazing specifically in that regard in the sense that this guy is a way bigger audience than I do. And now all of a sudden I've gotten free, yeah. free impressions on this guy. This highly influential person is now engaging with me in front of all of his audience. It's going back and forth. And so not only do I actually get like followers right in that moment, you know, like you know, yeah. a handful, five, six, seven, eight, or whatever. But like now it's like, I think that tweet stream was like 70,000 impressions. Yep. And like an impression on Twitter literally just means that it showed on the feed. So it's certainly not an engagement. And I haven't checked how many engagements it's gotten, but it's probably over like a thousand. And that's like a thousand people that are now like, oh, there's disrupt cash flow. Yep. And so like that in itself, like you do that once, eh, whatever. Great yeah. job. But then I've been doing that for like five years now. Yep. Uh, and it's is like, that how, why you you have what fifteen thousand followers or something? Uh, on Instagram, we've got like ten, a little over ten thousand, and in Twitter's like five thousand or something like that. Okay, so how much would you attribute what you just said to like that kind of hack of just staying in the conversation? Um, a lot. There's also you know that's funny growth on social media. There's all sorts of tactics that you can do to. to to drive your numbers um, and the intent of the way you use those is by far the most important part about whether they're ethical or not. Yeah. Dude, you can get like bots on Twitter that like oh, follow yeah. and unfollow people and like, don't get me wrong, 
I've definitely done some of those things in the yeah. past. However, my intent has always been thoughtful engagement, right? Yeah. Um, and and so, so yeah, I mean, that's that's like literally it on social media, yeah. right? Like you can only, and, the, and another thing is, it really helps if you're like just being yourself because it's really hard to be someone else that consistently for, for that know. long. <laughs> I mean, it's like borderline impossible, right? And so like on Instagram, on Twitter, all that things, I mean, dude, I get out there and I interact and I converse with people and it's tough. Twitter's Twitter's brutal, you know what I mean? You can get hammered on Twitter. Uh, you can get hammered and you only get, you only get this many things. So complex ideas are very difficult to, yep. to effectively discuss and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's like kind of what it is, right? Like you get out there, you interact and you make a meaningful impression and then maybe that person follows you. Maybe they don't, but then they see you again in a couple months. They're like, oh, that guy's still here. And yep. dude, I have in the last like two or three years met a lot of people online that I've become friends with. I've seen some of them in person, some of them not, but communicate with them regularly through email about stuff in business, just questions, um, get on the phone. I've seen some of them as they've come through DFW or I'm going through somewhere because a lot of it was like, all right, I have a very, I'm blessed beyond belief to have an awesome group of friends here in Fort Worth and around Texas. But it's always just been super weird to me that because that's where I'm born, like that is the friends that I'm going to be allowed on this planet when the internet honestly lets you choose like even more in depth, like who your friends are going to be. Yeah. I mean, uh, Twitter's where you meet yeah. new people and grow, grow new relationships. Facebook is where you go to dislike those people Yeah, and, and <laughs> go to dislike people, you know, in real life. Yep. It's so true. That's why I've been on Facebook for a while. Twitter's been my, my jam. Dude, I love Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. I, I own stock in Twitter. I so do too. I'm, so, so I'm biased as of like a year ago. Here's the deal. It is so useful. It's not going anywhere. No. I, I, I don't know how this will shake out in terms of up and down and stock and whatever. But like the internal, there's uh, no way it's use, going usefulness of it, dude. It is like I, so. There's other industries like gaming that it's as integral to gaming as it is. But like, dude, I mean, people are like, oh, I'm going to build an app to uh, help people find find practice partners. And like, literally, the thing that kills those kills those is that people are like, I just use Twitter for that. Yeah, <laughs> literally. I mean, I needed a videographer. I could have gone to Indeed.com. Could have gone to Craigslist. Could have done all these things. Instead, I just like I'll just use Twitter. Yep. And the ecosystem almost makes it a little. You're you're getting more authentic kind of names or leads or connections mm -hmm. through Twitter. God, dude, this you know great. Paul Graham. Yeah. So like, highlight. If I don't know him. I follow him. Hi James Bashara knows him. Hi well. Highlight of my life is having Paul Graham like respond to a tweet of mine. I'll get in there and like ask him a question or something. He'll make a post and I'll comment on it. Like if he responds, yes. <laughs> What's my most famous? My most famous was a like by Naval. He liked something I said. But, How did he see it? Well, because he put out that huge. Uh, he put out after the Joe Rogan podcast for like weeks on Twitter, everybody was like writing their favorite line from it or posting their favorite like clip. And literally in the back of my mind, I was like, and, and I'd get on Twitter and it was, he would like and comment back on just hundreds. I mean, my whole feed for like two weeks was Naval. And so I was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to join the party and I'm going to see if I can get him to like something. And sure enough, I posted and he did. That's probably the most famous person 
uh, I've gotten in touch with. I've had a few people with blue check marks get in touch, but not that I hold in. Dude, regard it's, it's real. There's obviously tons of fake accounts and trolls yeah. and all these things, but like, it's so crazy that a lot of the times it's a real person. I mean, our president is like, that is him. Like yeah. our president is like, literally sitting on his phone he's like deep, and pushes the button like like that's it's crazy i mean yeah. it's really cool i think the the pendulum is starting to shift back to where in my opinion political correctness has been all the rage for a long time and you can say donald trump's doing it you can say a lot of people are doing it but like the filter of like i don't have to say the perfect thing anymore is starting to kind of swing back i'm seeing a lot more raw discussion than what used to be said now there's clearly still people that again but that's them not being them that's them being this nice little twitter person that right. doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings that just that's that in itself is stressful it is stressful to not be yourself i bet my dad is i he just he obviously doesn't know how or like the context of twitter and so like he'll do the most random stuff and i got a couple text messages from like multiple friends my dad went on like a twitter rant like he doesn't know how to use twitter so like a twitter rant from my dad is like not really how you're supposed to rant on twitter and i got two different text messages from friends be like man bill's on a heater tonight i'm like yeah i don't know what the deal is it's funny you get you see glimpses of people that you didn't know that they had it in them on social media for sure um well man this has been awesome Dude, thank you for having me man uh, this, this is great this is the cool this is a freaking awesome setup great this production quality is oh dude it's gonna be awesome and uh yeah this has just been an incredible conversation this is <laughs> hilarious i could go on and on Hey everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a five-star rating or write a quick review. You can also email us at thefortpodcast at gmail.com with your thoughts and comments. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode.